Hey, good morning, crowd family, and happy, happy Sunday. I'm so glad you can join us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Chapter 3, we're now in chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is today's text. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 is today's text. We're now in part 7 of our series, Undivided. Now, before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, which was chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. And you might remember the focus was on God's secret wisdom. And Paul begins in verse 6 by speaking to the full-grown believer, the mature believer, mature in their faith, who has grown in their understanding of God's word. In other words, they're settled on what they believe. And, And then he tells them that he speaks a message of wisdom but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. And he makes it very clear that there's a significant difference in the wisdom of God concerning the gospel and the wisdom of this world. Then he says, who, speaking of the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. In other words, uh, they're headed nowhere. Their wisdom is ineffective. Their wisdom is, is, is empty. And then in verse 7a, he says this, no, we speak of God's secret Wisdom. So this wisdom doesn't have its origin in this age or the rulers of this age. Rather, it has its origin in God. Remember that? God himself. And you see, the secret wisdom is something that a person cannot penetrate by their own reasoning processes. It's a secret that can only be known as God reveals it and makes it known. Um, And I love that. He makes it known. And he goes on to say, a wisdom that has been hidden a wisdom that has been hidden. It's the hidden wisdom that is now revealed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was hidden in the past ages, but now it's revealed to the people of God, revealed to the saved. It's it's handcrafted for the saved. And then in verse 9, Paul says God's design, God's plan of salvation is, is something man could man that man could um could not imagine or think up. And no man could imagine. Or think up. It's something that's that's better than anything the world can offer. It's something that even uh, confounds and runs counter to contemporary wisdom. Now, remember, those who who see uh, from an earthly perspective with human eyes have not seen all the blessings God has prepared for His children. And Paul simply is saying the spiritually mature can grasp the mysteries or the secrets of God, the blessings of salvation, the blessings of God. Uh, God has prepared for those of us who are saved. Verses 12, excuse me, 10 through 12, verses 10 through 12 says this, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Verse 11, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except what? The spirit of God. Well, he, the Holy Spirit, is permanently qualified to make the revelation of God known to men. And what he does, he penetrates into the deep things of God because what? He is God. Verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. So we have been indwelt, right? Indwelt with a divine person, the Holy Spirit. And this is so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Friends, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, it's the Holy Spirit's ministry in us to teach us and guide us into all spiritual truth. And you see, Paul reveals a distinguishable difference in the believer and the non-believer. And as believers, we have a superior teacher 
that reveals divine truth. And that's what? The Holy, that's who? The Holy Spirit. And because we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we see things through the lens of Scripture, viewing life from a spiritual perspective. Verses 13 and 14. Paul writes, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit, he's speaking of the natural person, the unsaved person, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, a soulish, natural person, an unsaved person, is a person dominated, influenced, and energized by the human soul. Therefore, there is no spiritual capacity in that person. They were born physically, but not spiritually. Therefore, they don't have the capability nor the capacity of receiving God's revelation of truth for what it is. They cannot, listen now, receive or welcome the truths of God's wisdom of God's word. Verse 15, the spiritual man, so what Paul does here, he contrasts the soulish natural person with the spiritual person. And, and the spiritual person is indwelt with and dominated by the Holy Spirit who walks in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So he says a spiritual man makes judgments about all things. In other words, a spiritual person judges, appraises, examines, discerns, evaluates, scrutinizes all things. The all things refer to the body of Christian truth called the gospel revealed by God written down in the Bible, the word of God. Then he says this, but he himself is not subject, speaking of the spiritual person is not subject to any man's judgment. In other words, no natural person is equipped to judge the spiritual person. Then verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, what? We have the mind of Christ. I love that. We have the mind of Christ. In other words, we have a new capacity to think, act, Talk more and more like Christ himself, to be operating on the deep things of God, to see life more and more from God's perspective. So I want you to follow me here. So in verse 14 is the natural person, right? And this person is not saved, doesn't know God, rejects the things of God. And in verse 15 is the spiritual person, right? The spiritual person, this person is saved, the mature believer who knows the things of God, and as verse 16 says, who also has what? The mind of Christ. So this now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message today is The Carnal Christian. Everyone say that, The Carnal Christian. Now, here in the text, Paul focuses on the carnal believer, the, the carnal Christian, and, and obviously this person is saved, uh, but in some significant ways is still characterized by the flesh. Three points from our text today. Three things concerning the carnal Christian. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Point number one is this, their immaturity. Write that down, their immaturity. And I want you to look at verse one with me. Verse one, Paul writes, brothers. Someone say brothers. And this is how we know that they're believers. This is how we know they're, they're Christians. Paul calls them brothers. So he says, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. The NIV says as worldly. The, the New American Standard Bible uses the word fleshly. The King James uses the word carnal. But as 
Let's read that again. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, fleshly, carnal. The word, the word worldly is a Greek word, sarki, sarkikoi, which means according to the flesh. It's one who is fleshly, get this now, and has a willfulness, willfulness toward sin. Then Paul goes on to say, mere infants, mere infants in Christ. Did you get that? Did you get that? They were what? Mere infants, right? Mere infants in Christ. That's an, another indication how we know that Paul is speaking to believers. You can only be in Christ if you're a believer, right? If you're saved. So he's speaking to believers. Now, now the word as is very important in the text here. Paul says, I cannot address you as spiritual but as worldly. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you're believers, you're Christians, but I can't talk to you like that. And you see, friends, Paul, Paul's problem with them is that he's having to treat them as though they had remained in the flesh, as though they did not possess the Holy Spirit. And Paul could not address them, excuse me, address them as mature Christians. He could not address them as spiritual. And what Paul is simply saying is, do you think you're mature? Do you really think you're mature? Because you're not. You're acting like babies. You're, you're acting childish. You're acting as though you have not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, as though you're back in your old life. Now, positionally, you're holy. But practically, Paul's saying you're rotten. You're not living up to what you are. Now, being a baby is a natural part of life. And we know that, right? None of us were born completely mature. It takes time and it takes life experiences to, to mature. That being said, for those of you who have, who have just been born again, who just got saved, being a babe in Christ is a natural thing. You haven't had the time nor the experiences to mature yet. While here, Paul is not speaking to those who just got saved. He's not addressing the newborn babes in Christ. Here, he's addressing those who have been born again, listen now, for years, for years, and yet haven't matured. And they started out right, the right way. They were born again, they're saved, but they haven't progressed uh, in their walk. They haven't progressed in, in their walk with God. They haven't matured. That's why he calls them mere infants. Now, it's absolutely necessary and perfectly normal for all Christians to go through a baby stage. But it's quite abnormal for them to stay in this stage. And this is exactly who Paul is addressing here. Those who have not gone into maturity. They're stuck in the baby stage. Now, babies are wonderful, right? They're, they're cute, but up to a point. I mean, they're messy. They spit up. They spill things, they cry a lot, they poop and pee in, in their diaper, they throw temper tantrums, they need constant care. But that's what we expect from them, right? Why? Because they're what? They're babies. They're not mature yet. But if these actions continue for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, then there's something wrong. There's a problem. There has, there has been an abnormal growth. Now, our grandson, Jaden, is 14 months old, and he is such a blessing, and he, and he brings great joy into our lives, and he is so cute. He's so cute. And right now, he's making noises, you know, funny noises with his mouth. He's doing this. He's doing this. 
And he's so cute when he does that, but that wouldn't be so cute if he does that when he's older. Jaden is going to have to leave the childish things and grow up. It wouldn't be right if he continued to do those childish things when he gets older. He needs to mature. 1 Corinthians 13.11, 1 Corinthians 13.11, Paul writes this, When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Then he says this, When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Listen, friends, there comes a time when we must mature. Got it? And by the way, by the way, your age and how long you've been saved has nothing to do with your level of maturity. I have seen believers who have been saved a short time and who have grown substantially in the Word and in their walk with God. On the other hand, I have seen others who have been saved for a long, long time who have who have not yet gotten out of the nursery spiritually. They're still crying, they're still griping, they're still whining, still holding their bottle, still listen, holding their blankie. They're spiritual thumb suckers. Did you get that? They're spiritual, spiritual thumb suckers. Yeah, I just said that, right? Listen, spiritually image, spiritual immaturity makes a person unable, listen now, unable to unable to receive the riches or the richest truths of God's word. And this is the danger of this. Got it? When we're immature, we're not going to be able to receive the riches of God's truth, his word. Listen, God didn't save. He didn't save us to stay babies. He saved us to grow into the image of Christ. Of Christ. Prove it, I will. Ephesians 4.13. Ephesians 4.13 until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's God's goal for our life, that we become more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ, and become mature, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Number one is their immaturity. Number two is their menu. Write that down, their menu. Their menu. Look at verse two with me. If you're still with me, say amen. Verse two. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So in context, in context, Paul was speaking historically when he was first with the Corinthians. Those 18 months, uh, he was at Corinth when he came into that City preaching the gospel. Now, now I want you to write this down. First Peter chapter two, verse two. First Peter chapter two, verse two. And Peter writes, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now, friends, listen, milk is good. Say that milk is good so long as it helps us to grow up to be eaters of solid food. You see, listen now, you see. As we mature, we're supposed to move beyond the milk of God's word into, if you will, the meteor places of God's word. Well, some of the Corinthian believers who should have been ready for the meat of God's word, for the deeper things of God, were not ready for it. 
and they were still in their baby stage of growth. They were just satisfied with milk. They were stuck in the milk stage. They were stuck in the Similac stage. They were stuck in the infamil stage. They were not yet in the place of maturity that they should have been. Now, perhaps they believed they were ready for the deeper things of God, but they weren't living any deeper in the basic things Paul already preached to them. I mean, I could almost hear Paul saying, here we are years later, here we are truths later, and you're still on the bottle. David Guzik said this, it wasn't that God prevented them from receiving the solid food Paul gave. The real problem was the Corinthian, the Corinthian attraction to spiritual junk food based on man's wisdom and eloquence. They were so filled with this junk food that they were not able to receive the spiritual solid food Paul wanted to give them. Then he goes on to say this. Some spiritual junk food Christians are greatly blessed when they get a spiritual meal of solid food, but others, when presented with solid food, are not able to receive it because their spiritual taste buds are so conditioned to junk food that is all they have a taste for. Now, sadly, today in many of, of the churches, people don't want the preachers to get deep in the Word of God. They want them to preach superficial messages that makes them feel good. They want junk food. They just want junk food. They just want stories, jokes, props, and video, and, and drama presentations. And not that there's anything wrong with those things, but they cannot be the substance of the message. Those things cannot be a substitute for the Word of God. God. And sadly, they'd rather be entertained than exhorted, enlightened, and edified. Also, sadly, there are pastors who don't want to labor in the Word of God. They don't want to give solid spiritual food to those in the church that they're leading. In fact, when a pastor says, I don't want to get too deep, what, 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 he's, really, what, he, what, what he's really saying is this, I don't want to study. I don't want to study. And you see, the saddest thing in the church is to see someone, somebody who has grown up physically and grown along in years in Christianity and has the mentality of an infant and never knows the deep things of God. Now, considering the time since the Corinthian believers had experienced conversion and regeneration, they ought to have been mature Christians. The time factor is important in this Respect. In fact, the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, writes the same to his readers in Hebrews chapter 5. Write that down, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. It says this, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves, I love this, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here, milk refers to the basics of the gospel, the ABCs of the gospel. Meat or solid food is for those who are mature. Now stay with me here. Now, the difference between milk and meat or milk and solid spiritual food isn't that there's a difference in the doctrine in the doctrine itself. They're not different truths. They just 
Listen, they're just taught at a deeper level. There's a, there's a difference in the depth of understanding and depth of perceiving what's behind it and, and what's beneath it. And by the way, friends, in every sermon, in every message, there ought to be milk and there ought to be meat. There ought to be milk for those who are new in the faith. There ought to be meat for those who are older in the faith. Now, there's a lesson. We always have a lesson. And here's a lesson. Grow up. We got to grow up. Write it down. Grow up. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, friends, you will never get out of the nursery until you begin to dig your spiritual teeth into the deeper things of God's word, the deeper truths of God's word. And I got to tell you, friends, it, it's sad to say, but I fear that many Christians are still nursing the bottle and have yet to learn to eat and digest the deeper things of God. We need to mature. We need to, to grow up. 2 Peter, write that down, 2 Peter 3.18. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter writes this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Gosh, I love that. And it says to be him, to, to him be the glory both now and forever. To grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So question, are you growing? Huh? Are you growing? Are you spending time in the Word of God? Listen, you're the one who determines how much you want to grow, how much you grow. It's up to you. It's up to how much time you spend in the Word of God. Why is it that we spend more time with this and in this than we do with the Word of God? We're more attached to this than we are the Word of God. Listen, the way we grow, the way we grow in our faith is spending time in the Word of God. That's why it's important to spend time reading and studying the Word of God. Why it's important to listen to Sunday's messages and, and our Monday night studies and our Wednesday night studies and all of our studies. So you will grow in your faith. It's important for us to be in the Word of God. Take a break from this for once in a while. Gosh. And bury your face in the Word of God. In the Word of God. And you know, friends, you know, I, I love to see people get saved. I do. I love to see people get saved. It brings great joy to my heart. But I got to tell you, what brings greater joy than that is seeing those who get saved, seeing them grow in their walk with God, seeing them mature in their faith. They're walking in obedience. They're walking in holiness. They're, listen now, they're, they're growing they're maturing, and I love it when I see someone who gets saved and they start to grow in their walk with God. It blesses me. It brings great joy in my heart. Listen to what John says in 2 John chapter 1, verse 4. It's only one chapter. 2 John, the epistle, 2 John 1, verse 4. He writes this. It has given me great joy. Say that, great joy. To find some of your children, listen now, walking in the truth. Just as the Father, just as the Father commanded us. Now, one aspect of growing up is learning to consistently tell right from wrong and acting upon it. I mean, James, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14 just stated that, right? Hebrews 5, 14 says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So one aspect of growing up is learning 
to consistently tell right from wrong, right? Right from wrong, acting upon it. But to the Corinthians in this text, growing up has to do with learning to get along with each other, with each other. And that now brings us to the third point. And the third point, third point is their marks. Write that down, their marks. Their immaturity, their menu, now their marks. And here we see the evidence, say evidence, their evidence of their carnality, their evidence of their immaturity. Look at verse 3a. Paul writes, you are still worldly. You are still worldly. Now remember the, wo- the word worldly, fleshly, carnal is the Greek word sarkikoi, which means according to the flesh. Remember that? According to the flesh. It's one who is fleshly and has a willfulness, willfulness towards sin. And so these guys here in Corinth, they were characterized by the flesh. That is, they were demonstrating certain manifestations of the sin nature. They were carnal, rebellious. They were in sad shape spiritually. Listen, the, the rebellion led to sin in their own lives, and not just sin in their own lives, but also in the life of the local church. And you see, friends, this, this, this condition of carnal rebelliousness brought a critical and divisive spirit to the church at Corinth. Friends, listen, the evidence, say, say evidence, of their carnality was clearly manifested. You see, and I want you to get this. The church's greatest threat isn't from the outside. It's from the inside. It's not from the outside. It's from the inside. And you see, the problem they had in human relationships showed that there was something wrong in their relationship with God. It was evidence of carnality, of a fleshly way of thinking and a fleshly way of living. Now, I want to give you three subpoints here, three subpoints, and, and these are the three characteristics of the carnal believer. And if these are evident in your life, and if they're evident in my life, then, then we're carnal. And if we're carnal, we need to change. Okay? Three subpoints, three characteristics of the carnal believer. The first one is this selfishness. Write that down. Selfishness. Say that. Selfishness. Look at verse 3b. Paul writes, verse 3b, Paul writes, for since there is jealousy. Say, say jealousy. He's speaking of the attitude here, the attitude, jealousy. So I want you to follow me here. Babies, because I want to make this practical. Babies are by nature what? Selfish, right? By nature, they're, they're selfish. They, they care about no one but themselves. They don't care how tired mom or dad are, friends. They don't care about anything else in the world but what? But themselves. And as long as they're the center of attention, as long as that their needs are being met, they're fine. But when something is wrong in their little world, they cry, they whine, and complain until someone does it their way, right? Listen, stay with me here. The same is true in the life of a carnal believer. The focus is always on themselves. And it doesn't matter what's best for the church. All that matters is how it affects them personally. And when a carnal believer is unhappy, everyone knows it. Everyone knows it. And you know how? Because they act like a big baby, calling attention to themselves. And my point is this, my point is this, carnality manifests itself in selfishness, and selfishness is the mother of division. I want it the way I want it. 
selfishness. The second characteristic, second subpoint, is strife. First one is selfishness, second one is strife. Write that down, strife, and look at verse, strife, look at verse 3c with me. Paul writes, and quarreling. There it is. Among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So he points out the action. First he points out the attitude, jealousy. Now the action, quarreling. They were, there was strife among them. The church in Corinth, friends, they couldn't get along. There was bickering and backbiting in the church. And you see, friends, envy and strife always, always, say always, leads to division. Listen, as the church, as the body of Christ, we will never prosper. We will never prosper if we are divided. In Mark 3.25, Mark 3.25, Jesus said, And if a house be divided against itself, that house, what? Cannot stand. Listen, babies want their way and they're prepared to fight for it. Babies don't care. Okay, they don't care. Listen, they, they don't care to take by force what they think is theirs. In fact, friends, you, you get a couple of babies together and you can count on it. Say count on it. Count on it that there will be strife, discord, and dissension. And my point is this. My point is this. Anytime there's trouble in the church, you have a baby on your hands. You have a carnal, immature Christian on your hands. And you see, friends, someone didn't get their way. Someone didn't get their way. They didn't, listen, they, 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 they want everyone, to, someone didn't get their way, so they, don't, they want everyone to know it. It's someone, someone got their feelings hurt, and they want someone to pay for it. They're always complaining about someone else or, or something. They're always pointing the finger at everyone else when, in fact, it might be just them. That they're just, that they're the problem, that they might be the ones in the wrong. And that being said, if you find that you're always offended by, by someone for what they have said or done, if you think you're always getting the short end of the stick, if you always think you're, you're right and everyone is wrong, everyone else is wrong, mark it down, mark it down, you're a baby, you're a carnal Christian, and you need to grow up. Let's look at the text again. Are you not worldly, Paul writes? Are you not acting like mere men? In other words, they're behaving like mere men and women as opposed to men and women made new by Christ and brought under the rule of the Holy Spirit. Say selfishness, strife. The third characteristic, third subpoint is splits. Say splits. Selfishness, selfishness excuse me, strife and splits. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul... And another, I follow Paulus. Are you not mere men? Listen, the fact that Paul asked of asked them of this, excuse me, asked them of this, for when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus, are you not mere men? Is evidence that they are in fact still worldly, fleshly, carnal in their conduct. Now we often limit our definition of carnal to sexual things, right? When we, when we think about carnal, carnality, 
automatically we think about sexual things, sexual sins. Yet here Paul is using the word to describe divisions and fights in the church. Carnal, immature people split over personalities. They split over hero worship. And you see, to be followers of men, to be preacher worshipers is the height of carnality. And this is exactly what Paul is addressing here. This is the same thing, the same thing he addressed back in chapter 1, verse 12. This kind of attitude was threatening the unity of the church that could potentially split the church. They, they were comparing leaders. They were creating factions. Listen, friends, a lack of harmony in the church reveals a carnal Christian. One who is aggressive, assertive, envious, and divisive. He or she is out of step with God, out of step with him or herself, out of step with everyone else. There's a lack of harmony with God. There's a lack of harmony with others. There's a lack of harmony with self. And the result is always jealousy, strife, and division. Listen, they're active and they're involved in the church. They're, they're, they're in the church, but they serve God their way, not God's way. And the proof of their carnality is, listen now, their shallow grasp of God's word. They're immature. They're not growing in the word of God. Now there's a lesson, here's a lesson. And the lesson is this, get our eyes back on God. Get our eyes back on God. Say that. Get our eyes back on God. Now, let me give you the antidote, the antidote for the disease of division. It's a simple statement, okay? Simple statement. Recognize that we all glorify God and Him only. Recognize that we glorify God and Him only. Not leaders, not pastors. God and God only. That we would get our eyes back on God. Listen, human, listen, the human instrument is irrelevant. We're, we're just vessels. God is just using us. We're just vessels. Okay? We, we don't want to get our eyes on personalities. We want to get our eyes on, on God. On God. And that was what was happening in the church there. They were, they were putting their eyes on leaders and, and this leader and that leader and comparing leaders to leaders. And, and they were getting their eyes off God and onto leaders. We need to get our eyes back on God. Now, I want to say a few things about the carnal Christian. And, it's, and I want you to follow me here. A carnal condition, you got to get this, a carnal condition is always temporary. Okay, write that down. A carnal condition is always temporary. Now, it may take a while, but a Christian, say Christian, will deal with his or her carnal attitude. Got it? They cannot stay. Listen, they cannot stay in a permanent carnal condition. Also, they can never, ever really be happy in sin. Now, they may cover the sin. They may try to hide the sin. But inwardly, they're miserable. And if they are truly, listen, if they are truly saved, say that, truly saved, they should experience the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and the discipline of God if they're truly saved. Got it? Now, if you're not experiencing the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and the discipline of God, then maybe you're not saved. Listen, the most miserable 
person in the world is the carnal Christian who is out of fellowship with Christ. And I got to tell you, friends, I see this all the time. I know Christians who are not walking right with God, and I see them, and, 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 and they're not happy. They're miserable. There's no joy in their life. And I see that they're not experiencing the blessings of God. Why? Because they're out of fellowship with Christ. That Their fellowship is broken, not their sonship, but their fellowship is broken. And because of that, they're miserable. They're miserable. So this begs the question, what is the cure for carnality? Well, it's very simple. Stop yielding to the flesh and start yielding to the Spirit of God. Stop yielding to the flesh and start yielding to the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Write this down. Galatians 5, 16 says, To live by the Spirit. Uh, to, to keep in step with the Spirit. To, to, to walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. you got to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. Got it? That's the cure for carnality. Not giving in to the old nature, but surrendering our hearts to God and cultivating the new nature. Now, let me say this. If you know a carnal Christian, perhaps you do. I would challenge you to lovingly challenge his or her own faith as to whether it's genuine or false. And after all, in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, write that down, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul had encouraged and exhorted the carnal Corinthians to test the reality of their faith. And he says this, examine yourselves, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And he says this, test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Unless, of course, you fail the test. Do you pass the test? Hopefully you do. Now, as we wrap this up here, as we come to an end here, in, in chapter 2, remember this? In chapter 2, verse 14 and in chapter 2, verse 15, and in today's text, Paul, what he does, he describes three different kinds of people. In chapter 14 of chapter 2, in chapter 14 of chapter 2, he described the natural person. In, chapter, in verse 15 of chapter 2, in verse 15 of chapter 2, he described the spiritual person. And in the text, today's text, he describes the carnal person. 2.14, the natural person. 2.15, the spiritual person. The text, today's text, is the carnal person. Now listen, everybody, say everybody, has a throne in their life. Everybody has a throne in their life. So follow me here. The natural person is a person, listen now, the natural person is a person where self, self sits on the throne. Jesus Christ is outside of their life. They're not saved. The spiritual person is a person who has Ask Jesus Christ into their life and is allowing Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of their life, allowing him to guide them, choosing to live their life after God's way, not man's way. 
this, this, this spiritual person, okay, in his life, Jesus is not just Savior of his life, but also Lord of his life or her life. The carnal person is a person who has asked Jesus Christ to come into their life, but they do not allow Jesus, thou Jesus, to sit on the throne of their life. They still live their life governed by their sin nature. Jesus is just Savior of their life, not Lord of their life. So that being said, question, which one are you? Which one are you? Huh? The natural person? The spiritual person? Or the carnal person? Which one are you? You see, there's a word for each person hearing this message today. And it's this, if you're a mature Christian, if you are, if you're a mature Christian, press on and take hold of Christ more and more and more and continue to grow. If you're a carnal Christian, repent and confess your sins to Jesus Christ and he will forgive you. Yield to his Holy Spirit and go on to maturity. If you're a natural, unsaved person, Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Amen. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would grow in our walk with you. Lord, that we would read and, and feed and, and study and meditate and, and heed to your word. That we would grow in the grace in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So as I said in the closing of my message, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to be saved today, you want to follow him, I want you to repeat this prayer, bow your head, close your eyes, Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask you, I invite you to come into my life to save me, to cleanse me, and to change me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe with my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am saved. I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. And from this day forth, I will live for you faithfully until you call me home to be with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you said that prayer, if you decide to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you. So you can email us at contact at cryout.org. Again, that's contact at cryout.org. All right? Listen, love you guys. Miss you always. And I hope that you have a wonderful, blessed Sunday. And we'll see you next week. God bless.